And we're just going to dive into scriptures a little bit together. I, I really have a sense uh, this morning that the Holy Spirit is wanting to um, take us out of ourselves. And Cindy's word is kind of a, uh, a witness to that. Um, and I was just struck um, as I was reading in the last few days, and I was uh, reading Hebrews and just God speaking to me about that again. So we're going to read a little bit from Hebrews, and then um, I've been in the life of Gideon. We're going to read a little bit from Judges too, um, and just talk a little bit about what uh, we feel God is wanting to do among us, and then we're going to have a time of prayer. So let's do that. Um, if you want to put up the uh, Hebrews passage, that would be great. Before we do that, let's just pray before we look at God's Word. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for how amazing you are. And so we choose to look at you, fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We lift our eyes, therefore, off ourselves, lift our eyes off the things that are around us. And we do this morning, we fix them on you. And we know that as we look at you, as we see your face, as we encounter your words and your deeds, that those words and deeds will uh, transform us, that they'll enter us, they'll enter us like seeds, that you and your faithfulness will water through your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we commit to do that. We'll do our part. We know that you've done yours, and so we will fix our eyes on you. We will incline our ears and our hearts, and we'll get ready to receive, Lord, knowing that you are faithful who has promised and you are the author and perfecter of our faith. So we ask you for it and thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So in Hebrews, um, the writer here, of which there's still some debate, I believe, as who that writer was. We won't concern ourselves with that. He says this, or maybe she, I don't know. Um, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest. It's funny, isn't it, that in some ways we have to work and be diligent in order to get to a place of rest. Um, but it's important we do that. Let us be diligent to enter that rest so that not one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. And so the writer here is talking about what was done for the people of Israel to take them out of a place where they're in captivity, they're in bondage, they were subject to their own toil and labor. And the will of God, what God's plan for them is that he would take them into a land of his provision where they understood that without having to to perform works and go through motions to, to, to gain his providence and to receive his inheritance, but just through trust in him and yielding to him, the, the people of Israel could receive that place of promise, the land flowing of milk and honey. And so the writer's telling uh, the, the group of Hebrews that the same thing remains today. It's not that there's a day that we just have to stop work so we can say, Lord, I trust you that you'll be my provider even if I don't work for one day. But we read elsewhere that it, the Sabbath rest is something internally. It's a place of faith we have. And it, we can be in rest and peace every single day. It's not about just having one set day. So I, I just feel that this is important um, for us and that God is calling us to 
keep leaning on him, keep relying on him, and keep yielding to him and submitting to his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit wants to do more for me and you than we have imagined or conceived. And sometimes we can let our eyes drop, and we start looking at ourselves, and that's around us. But I believe the encouragement for God is he's saying to us today, I want to do things that are beyond what you believed and hoped for and expected. And today we can receive that, and we're going to have some prayer at the end. Does that sound good? All right. So forgive me here. I'm working uh, from a laptop um, because someone had unplugged my computer. Uh, sorry, someone had unplugged my printer, and so I couldn't print my notes this morning. Anyone here have children who have, play video games? Anybody? You know about this? Isn't it amazing how some people play video games and they're not children? That's, that's another thing. It's amazing how some, you know, you can have kids that can play for five hours or more video games and they can't take five seconds to plug back in your printer that they unplugged in order to play video games. So I'm not talking about anyone in particular. Uh, but that is why I have my computer up here. Um, so here we go. Um, we're going to look at, uh, at uh, Life of Gideon here, going to look in Judges, and we're going to draw some observations uh, from that in Judges uh, chapter 6. Uh, we're going to look briefly at the life of Gideon. And so it's, you know, we all know this story, I'm sure. It's one that is, is well known. Um, but Gideon, we have this guy who's in a place um, of strain and stress because they, he is being oppressed by the enemy. Their life is miserable. It is not good. And everybody is down about it. And then God calls him. He calls him out. And he says to him that I am going to make you the one that brings deliverance and freedom to your kinsmen, to your country. And if he first doubts himself and he doubts that God can do it. But in the end, he yields to the Lord and he learns to believe and God provides amazing victory through him, all by God's amazing hand. Um, and so he and his people are set free. Uh, and it's a picture of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ and what we can live in too. So we're going to take a look at it together. So a couple of things about um, Gideon. Number one, he was an ordinary guy. Um, so he was no celebrity. Um, he was nothing fancy. He wasn't even a millennial. He was a grandfather. Actually, true, true. He was a grandfather. Um, and so we can, we can identify with him. There's nothing special. You know, sometimes we find it's hard. We read about David, how he was ruddy and handsome, and he was just amazing at everything. Uh, and we know that he had his faults, um, but we, we look at it and we think, yeah, but he was still amazing at everything, and he was handsome, and he was an amazing musician. It's like he could do no, he, he, he had this amazing uh, natural gift. Um, but Gideon, he is just your regular guy. If Gideon can do it, anyone can. So let's look here, and we're going to read a few verses in Judges here. So let's, let's go ahead and read. So Judges 6, and starting with verse 2. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midians would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. So they would camp against them and they would destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza. And they would leave no sustenance in Israel, as well as no sheep 
ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come in like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable, and they came into the land to devastate it. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. So I have a picture here. This is a really a really sad and serious situation, hard for us to understand because, we're, you know, for us, like sheep and ox and donkeys and other commodities that we deal in, um, and we, you know, we, we have this picture of innumerable camels, which we can't really identify with. I don't remember the last time I opened my drapes in the morning and looked out in the backyard and saw innumerable camels just devastating my land. But that's because I don't live an agrarian lifestyle, but... But this is, this is life to them. This would be like somebody coming into your business, whatever it is that you do, and they are destroying all the opportunities for you to have a viable business, for you to make money. And they're just taking away the means of you to, uh, that you could live. There was no food for these people. They were literally getting hungry. Some of them were starving. And there was like a sickness about it. It, it, it. This is what the enemy is like. We know he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He has schemes. He just came in here to mess stuff up. It wasn't like they um, took the food and repackaged it and ate them themselves. They just came in and devastated the crops. And so he, the, the Israelites were feeling the pressure of this enemy. He wanted to come in and just mess their stuff up. And it persisted and it kept on going. And this is a situation they were in year after year. And so we're going to pick up from the story a little bit more. And we're going to pick up from verse 11 here. So, good news is, the old angel of the Lord came out. So then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Oprah. So Oprah did make it into the Bible after a lot of trying. (laughs) And uh, didn't make Hebrews 11, mind you, but she's in there. Um, so under the oak that was in Oprah, and this oak belonged to somebody. It belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, I believe, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. And so the great news is that at the end uh, of this season of calamity and this devastation, um, the people of God Uh, did one thing right in that they called out to the Lord. And whenever we call out for the Lord, whether we do it after a day or if we do it after years like this, in His goodness, He is faithful to come and listen. And so the angel of the Lord came and and, uh, spoke to Gideon. And let's go, actually, we're going to continue reading this, and then we'll go back and we'll talk a little bit more about it. And so Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press. We'll talk about that in just a second. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said... The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of the Midian. We're going to go to verse 16 here bit of dialogue, and then the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Awesome. So let's draw a couple of um, 
observations from this here. Um, the Midianites came in after the people of God had sown. And then they came to destroy the crop. The enemy will look for an opportune time. We know that he seeks for an opportune time. And he wants to come in and take the seed. Because he knows that what you have sown in faith and your trust in God is going to produce a harvest. And once that seed is in the ground, as we read in the parallel, um, sorry, the parable in uh, Mark, I believe, um, where the farmer sows a seed and then he goes to bed and then we read that it grows overnight. How it does, he himself does not know. Because once we have sowed the seed, then the responsibility of the growth of that seed is up to the Holy Spirit. But the enemy is going to want to come and mess with your seed and mess with your harvest. And what we have a responsibility to do is to not hide, which is what the uh, Israelites did. They ran into the dens and their caves, but to go and actually approach and hunt the enemy. And I'm getting ahead here to my points. Um, But when he comes to take the seed, we have a responsibility to go after him and not get underground. But he is bent on taking the seed and taking away that which feeds us. He wants God's people to be weak and malnourished. And so Gideon, then in this place, he went ahead and he was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, has anybody here ever threshed wheat in a wine press? I did not think so. So this is, you know, we we can read over this again, but they had to glean the wheat and then they had what's called a a threshing sledge, it's a bit of a a tongue twister, um, which some of the prophets prophesied about, I can't remember which one now, that a threshing sledge, there are different ways of separating the nutrients from the uh, wheat, um, from the chaff and that which you didn't need. And so this needs to be done in a pretty open place. Um, so you could like bring this sledge around and you could like thrash it about. Um, and then you could get the sustenance that you needed. But because they were fearful and Gideon was fearful of the enemy taking his seed, he tried to do this threshing exercise in a wine press. A wine press would be a relatively confined area where you put all the grapes and you'd come and have some implement or you stamp on them and you squeeze out all the juice. And so you have this really bizarre situation where the place that should have been a place of creating wine, something for joy and celebration, now came a a, a place of compromise and straining to try and get out, just to eke out a sustenance to try and get by and live when it should have been a place for joy and celebration. Sometimes we can, if, we, if, our eyes can, if our eyes drift from what God is doing, we can find that the place of celebration and joy that he wants to be in, we're turning it into a place where we're just trying to eke out the smallest living. And that's what he was doing. Um, they would use a threshing sledge or they would use some kind of fork um, and that they would also lift up the wheat and so the chaff would get blown away. You had to separate the kernels from the chaff. And so they used a big um, fork called a tribulum. And then they would dig it in and they would 
flip it up, and so the wind would come, and it would blow away the light bits, and anything that's dense would fall down. Now, uh, tribulum is where we get uh, the root word for tribulation from. And sometimes the tribulations that we, that we go through are a process where that fork is coming in to that which is good and can provide sustenance, and it's digging in and it's flicking it up so that God can blow away that which is no good and cannot be used, and he can get, let that which is sustaining in life fall and be collected. And so the times of tribulation are never really fun. Whoever's been jabbed in the side by a fork before, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but sometimes the pain of this process will yield the fruitfulness that we're looking for. Amen? All right. So let's uh, wrap up here with a couple of observations um, from the life of Gideon and what he did. And then we're going to have time. We're going to pray together in about 10 minutes' time. So some things to learn. Uh, three points here which I have raised. Number one is know why. Know why. A little play on words there. Let's go back and read together. Verse 13, Judges uh, 6.13, then Gideon said to him, the angel of the Lord, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? You know the letter Y is the worst letter in the alphabet. <clears throat> and the Y, that's why I put no Y here, not no Y-K-N-O-W, because we don't need, generally speaking, to K-N-O-W-Y. We need to know why and get rid of the why. And for as long as Gideon was fixated on why has this happened? Why has it not turned out like I thought it was? Why was it not like what I've been told? Why was it not like the stories of old? When he was fixated on the why, he stopped receiving the answer that God had. And for us, we need to ask ourselves, what things am I not entering into and receiving from the Lord because I'm still asking the why? We need no whys. And I know that a number of people here who've gone through really, really terrible things in their lives have talked about how they, how they had to come to a place where they were able to settle the issue of I don't need to know why and I'm not going to pursue it anymore. And when that happened, a place of healing and freedom came. And so for us, we need to ask ourselves, is, am I still holding on to, on to a why that I need to know this why and I'm not receiving God's solution because I'm stuck on the why? So number one, it's no why. Number two, let's hunt and not hide. Hunt and not hide. So we talked about what Gideon did um, he and the Israelites, they ran off. They went into dens. They went into caves. They went and took their process, took their labors and their work into places that they should not have been. He tried to do a good job threshing in a wine press, 
but it worked badly because you're not supposed to thresh grain in the wine press. Don't try and fix your car in the bedroom. Don't try and do the dishes in the bathroom. Don't try and make a meal in the garage. I remember when we first moved up to St. Charles some 13 years ago, um, we had moved from a nice, uh, like, five-year-old home that was super energy efficient and nothing was wrong with it. And uh, it was just a really easy home to live in. And we thought, what a stupid idea. We want a really old house that's full of character and a lot of fun, and we'll rehab it and make it really nice. And so that's what we did. Um, And so we bought a 100-plus-year-old home here in St. Charles. And then I set about turning myself into a general contractor um, to change his house. It didn't have enough bedrooms. It didn't have enough bathrooms. It was a three-bedroom, two-bath house. And so, um, you know, I, there was a next-door neighbor who'd done a lot of work on his house. He hooked me up with some guys who did kind of framing and everything, and I found an electrician and a plumber and all this stuff. We raised the roof on the back of the house. I added a bedroom, a big master bathroom. We added another bathroom. I moved the kitchen from some tiny pokey area in the back of the house and all this stuff. And I spent all this money on this home in the peak of the market in the summer of 2005. And then I sent all these guys into my house to destroy it (laughs) and went back in there. And it was all down to the studs. And I'm like, I can't believe I just spent this much money on this house. And now, you know, there's gaping holes in the walls and the cold air is blowing in. And we went about a process of uh, rehabbing this house. So naturally, we scheduled it would take a certain amount of time and it took double. That's kind of how it goes. I started out thinking it would take this much time, then doubled it, and I thought... I would, should double it again, but I didn't. Um, so throughout this process, it took longer than we expected, and we became desperate. And we ended up moving back into this house really before it was ready. And we moved in, Diana, with it. We had uh, three really small kids, uh, I think like three, under three at the time. Um, and we moved in before we even had a sink in the kitchen. And so... Diana was trying to do the dishes in the bathroom sink, (laughs) filling up water, boiling pots, and it just doesn't work when you're trying to do the wrong thing in the wrong room. And so for us, let's make a choice that we're not going to hide from what the enemy is going to do, but we're going to go and hunt him and we're going to kick him out. And the word of God, as it was to Gideon, is that if you will believe what I've called you into, and if you will go and do what I've called you to do, then I'm going to bring you a victory. I will do it for you. So get your grain out of the wine press, stop hiding, and go after this enemy and face him, and I will take him down for you. Let's hunt and not hide. And then the last point I want to make is from the 34th verse here. Once, in, once Gideon had got to this place and he went out to battle the enemy. And point number three is get dressed. And I'll tell you why, uh, why that, it is that point. Uh, verse um, 34 of the sixth chapter says this. When Gideon went out there, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. 
And that word literally there, to come upon him, literally means the Spirit of the Lord clothed him. And he put on the Holy Spirit like a garment. I almost picture it like Iron Man's... um, Like Iron Man's, what do you even call that thing? Suit is the word I'm looking for. Iron Man's suit. That once he had, he had seen the error of his ways and he responded to the Lord, he forgot about the why, he stopped hiding, and he went after it. And, the, and God said to him, here's what I'm going to do for you. And once he was at that point, he was like, all right, I believe it. I will go. There the Holy Spirit clothed him and he became so much more than he was before, clothed with the very essence and spirit of God, that power, even physically, that courage, that strength, and that instruction he put on him like clothes, like a suit. And he went out in the Lord's strength, and he experienced the Lord's deliverance. And we want to clothe ourselves with this Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand with me, if you would. Let's stand together here. And Aaron, if I can have you come up and uh, play. Um, and uh, we're just going to respond to the Lord. And I, uh, there's a few things which are on my mind and I'm going to um, share. But I believe there's other things as well. And if, John, you would also come and just share what's on your mind. Um, but we're going to take a minute just before the Lord and I believe God is going to meet us in a variety of different ways. So just as Aaron plays here, just still your hearts and uh, let's pray. Father, Lord, we yield to you this morning. I thank you for your word of encouragement, Lord. I thank you that the uh, promised land for us is not one that, that we have to strive for, but it's one that we have to believe for and fight for. And so, Lord, we this morning agree that where we need to stop asking why, that we lay that aside. And if there's any of us here that we're stuck on the whys, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just prompt us and convict us, bring it to the surface, to the surface, and we will let it go. And if there's any of us that feel that we've been hiding and we've not been hunting, that we've run from the pressure, from what's happening, and we need to run to it, in your strength, that, Lord, convict us so we can do that. And if there's any of us that feel like we, we, are, we just don't have what it takes, I ask, Holy Spirit, come right now and clothe us. We put on your strength. We believe in what you have done, who you've made us to be. So, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come among us, that you would descend upon us, everyone here, that... Lord, as you promise, you'll make us more than we are. Thank you, Father. I feel like there are some other things that the Lord wants to do this morning. We're going to have an opportunity for prayer. I believe that he wants to bring physical healing. I believe he wants to touch hearts. And there's an opportunity this morning to change a mindset that we may have been stuck in. And we can change it and we can move forward. And just as the Holy Spirit came on Saul and we read that he was a changed man, we can experience that same transformation this morning. Let's just be still for a second.
there's some that feel like this whole morning was for them. That God's been speaking directly to your heart all morning long. And he says, you know, when you come in my presence, I'm going to touch you. You can't help it. You can't, you can't get into the presence of God without God changing you. And even today you said, well, is it me? God, is this really for me? Is, I, I really don't know that it's for me. And you know that the enemy tried to stop you from even coming today. Not necessarily in a physical way, but just in your mind. You know, I don't know that I should go. But God says, today's the day. Today's the day that I met you, and I'm going to change you today. And today's the day that it was for you. Because that's how important you are. I'll make a whole day just for you. God says, I'll make a whole day that's just for you because I love you that much. If I have to make a whole week just for you, God says, I'll make a whole week just for you. But today's your day. Today's your day. And as God says, today's your day, and you say, well, is it really me? And you know that it was you because you know that you, hard, you had a hard time even getting out of the door today. Things were, it seemed like everything was coming against you, and you're just like, well, should I really go? Is this the place where I should be? Is this the place where I'm supposed to go? God said, yeah. And you came. And he's, he's here to touch you today. And you know, the funny thing is, is you don't have to go someplace or have someone lay a hand on you for the presence of God and the power of God to touch you. Because he loves you that much. Yeah. But he says, I want to seal what I'm doing in you. And so, just like the woman who reached up and touched his garment in the middle of a crowd that was pressed around him and power went out of him. He says to you, I just want you to reach out your hand, reach out to me, and I'm going to touch you. I will touch you, says the Lord. I will reach my hand back out to you because this is your day. And you're going to be changed. And so if that's you... I'm just going to ask you to do one thing. Just have confidence about God to do one thing. And that's step out from your place. Step out from your place. And if it's just to walk to the back of the building, to the back of the room, that's okay. But step out into the into the aisle and say, yeah, God, that's me. I'm going to acknowledge that it's you. And I'm going to reach out and let you do what you're going to do today. Because it's a change. It's going to be a change. It's a big change. So if that's you, just make a step. Take a step. Believe. 